see you. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, folks. Good morning, church family. I'm Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. I am super glad that you are here as well. I am especially glad you're here today because I feel like this week God's given me an insight into Scripture and human nature and the kingdom that is part of how God wants to change our lives. Today is the close of our series of Jesus Stories. In this series, we've been preaching through some of the many stories where Jesus challenges the way that our heart is oriented toward money and generosity. Jesus knows the love of money leads to all kinds of sorrow, and Jesus lived with us. He knows that the love of money is perhaps the greatest temptation in our world. It's a temptation that leads to worry and greed in our hearts, and worry and greed can keep us from love on a personal level. And in our tribes and our nations, worry and greed can lead to conflict and war. Uh, you may not know my brothers and I ride motorcycles. After my father's passing, we remembered how my dad used to ride when we were young, and each of us decided to buy bikes and start riding together. And we decided to take a trip to the Black Hills like my mom and dad did when we were little, and we needed to buy some accessories. So we went to a motorcycle shop to get rain gear and gloves for the weather and everything. And my little brother, who's about this tall, uh, refused to buy anything there. He said, I can't buy this stuff because I am brand loyal. If it doesn't say Harley Davidson, I don't want it. Now, he was never loyal to Harley before he bought a bike. He never owned anything they made. He never mentioned them when he first started shopping for a bike. But after making one of the big purchases of his life, he suddenly realized, I care about Harley. I want people to know I'm a Harley guy. I want it so bad I'm going to refuse to use other products. I'm going to spend more in order to get less so that I can advertise my loyalty to other people. I want to be associated with Harley, and I want everyone to know it, and maybe they will choose Harley next time. The focus of my preaching today is brand loyalty. Brand loyalty is the belief that some brand represents higher quality and better service than any competitor, and the price does not matter. Are you brand loyal to anything? I am generally not, but I can think of one brand I am loyal to, the Samsung Galaxy Note. <laughs> the eighth version of this phone literally blew up and burned a hole through airplanes. And the makers decided to continue making it nonetheless because it inspires the highest brand loyalty of any phone. Now, I don't think brand loyalty is necessarily right or wrong, but I do think it reveals something about how our heart works. If you Google, why is brand loyalty important, which is one of their suggested searches, here is Google's answer up on the screen. In short, building brand loyalty drives growth. New customers who purchase your products and become brand loyal will be repeat customers. And they'll also recommend you to their peers, and they'll become ambassadors for your products out in the real world. And so brand loyalty is really about capturing our heart and then driving our behavior. Brand loyalty makes us more likely to come back and more likely to share what we're loyal to. According to the website GigaSavvy, brand loyalty is getting people to love your product, not just like it. My brother's brand loyalty to Harley started with a motorcycle purchase, which captured his heart and changed his behavior and turned him basically into a walking salesman so that anybody who sees him knows that is a Harley guy. I've seen the same with Apple products, which is just mind-boggling to me. And they've got the largest profit margins in the history of the phone industry. What does this all have to do with Jesus? When marketers start using language, like getting customers to love their brand, they are getting into God's territory. 
God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. That is 1 John 4, 7 and 8 right there. We're meant to love God and love people first and foremost. The whole Old Testament law, according to Jesus, is summed up in two commands. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as you love yourself. As Jesus' followers, we're meant to be marked by the deep ways the love of God and people mark our lives. As our heart grows closer to God, as our loyalty and our worship and our love are directed toward Jesus, we're filled with God's love. And then God's love overflows out of our lives into the world around us. And we become ambassadors of Christ out in the world spreading the good news of reconciliation of all people and all of creation to God and God's people. We are meant to be marked with one brand, and that is Jesus. But Jesus teaches that there is another brand. There is another path in life that all too often captures our hearts, and that brand is money. And so we're going to be preaching today from Matthew 6. I'm going to read verses 19 to 24. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This translation says, and be enslaved to money, but that's added. So Jesus taught about one thing more than any other, and that's the kingdom of heaven. He focuses on the greatest thing that you can find in this world. That's the place where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. That's the life we're made for. And Jesus taught we can actually find it here. Heaven for Jesus is a tangible reality that is so close we can reach out and touch it and at times actually live in it while we're here on earth as well as for eternity through resurrection. And Jesus wants your life to be part of God's kingdom. And Jesus knows the human mind and the human heart. Jesus, through whom we were made, according to Colossians 1 and John 1, Jesus knows us intimately. God knows how you work. And here's how we work. We're either going to be oriented toward God or toward the things of this world, one or the other. We cannot love, serve, and worship both God and money, they are incompatible. Now, as far back as the time of Moses, the Bible tells the same story. Before there was a nation of Israel, historians believe around 1300 BC, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And the Pharaoh, the ruler, worried about the Egyptian people because the Jews were getting too numerous, and he wanted more. And so he doubled the slaves' workload. And he kept on adding more work, more labor, harder conditions, because his goal was eventually to wipe them out. And I think that's a good picture of what it's like to be enslaved to money. The love of money leads to greed and worry and death. Love of money caused Pharaoh, who was rich, to be worried that he didn't have enough and couldn't hang on to what he had. 
He lived in fear, enough fear that he was willing to commit genocide to keep it. The Atlantic magazine did a study called Secret Lives of the Super Riched. They interviewed a couple hundred people who, make two, who had 200 million or more, plenty of billionaires, but at least 200 million. The average person with over $200 million feels like they could be financially secure if they just had 25% more than they have. And that's like a pretty standard thing. How much more money would it cost you to feel financially secure? The answer is almost always, well, more. Right? The love of money is slavery. It's a never-ending race. And that is not what God wants for you. And of course, the love of money destroys the lives of the poor. In the Exodus story, their lives were hard to begin with, but love of money made it worse. The poor became oppressed as their oppression grew. Their plight reached all the way to God because God is always on the side of the oppressed. The story that comes next about Moses being called to lead the people and set them free is considered by many biblical scholars to be the central story of the Bible told again and again in different ways. The Gospel of Matthew is a New Testament version of the same story of God coming to rescue God's people, in this case through Jesus. And after the Exodus, what does God do? He establishes a new law, a new way of living, the Ten Commandments along with many others. And these are meant to set the Jewish people free from the system of slavery and money love that marked their captivity. The new law includes things like rest through the Sabbath, and it commands the people to never envy, never want what other people have to never steal or commit murder. God's way is completely different than the other one. And the new law includes a lot of commands about generosity. The people are, for instance, to lend to anyone who needs the money and never charge interest. And they're commanded to save up 10% of everything they make and give it annually to the temple, where the priests lead worship and the poor are taken care of. And every third year, the people are to save up a tithe for a big party that they are to throw and include their servants and the poor and immigrants and the servants of God as well. Of God? All right, if that happens again, I'm going to ditch this mic. The people of God are meant to be free from the system of slavery and genocide that revolves around money and protecting it. And the alternative that they are offered is a system of rest and worship and generosity. And God told them, if you honor these ways, it will go well with you. By the time of Malachi 3, the people have failed at this pretty completely. And so God sends prophets, and he sends the prophet Malachi in this case to deliver a message, verses 10 through 12. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And so God commands the people to be generous, but the Israelites are like me, probably like more of us at second service than first. They're bad at following the rules. They don't want to do it. And so God sends them prophets to give them some good news. As you give generously to the temple and the poor, God's going to bless you abundantly. But they fail at that too. 
And so God keeps on giving anyway. God sends Jesus, his son who he loves, to teach and demonstrate what God's generosity looks like. Jesus travels around with his disciples, and they collect money for the poor the whole time. Jesus publicly teaches a rich young ruler, give everything you have to the poor and come follow me. He teaches that the widow who gives her few pennies to the temple is the most generous giver there is. And he teaches that God is generous too, whether you have been serving God your whole life or whether you just start today. Jesus' generosity is so extravagant that later in life he says even the animals have places to go home and rest their heads, but I don't have anything. And in the end, Jesus gives up even his life. The political and religious leaders are worried they're going to lose their status and lands if Jesus keeps on preaching and doing miracles, and so we're going to put him to death. Their love of what they have leads to one of the most tragic deaths in the history of mankind. Jesus dies on a cross, forgiving even as he dies, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But the generous life of God does not end in death. It is not cut off when the body passes away. Jesus is resurrected again three days later. And he appears again and again to people all around the region. And through the resurrection, Jesus and the Bible teach us today, we are no longer marked for death. We are marked for eternal life. We no longer need to enslave ourselves to money so that we can have as much as possible in this life. Because this life is short anyway. We can instead store up treasure in heaven. This is especially good news for the poor. Your life is not measured by what you own, but by where your heart is. And this is challenging news for those of us who are rich, because Jesus says, stop measuring with the yardstick of money and instead uh, measure by what we've stored in heaven. And so we're going to go back and visit this passage from Matthew 6 again, piece by piece. Uh, Verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Okay, so Jesus says, store your treasure in heaven because it will last. And where your treasure is stored, your heart will be. Jesus wants your brand loyalty. When you make the investment in God's kingdom, you start to mark your life by God's kingdom. When you invest in what God would have us invest in, you start to want other people to know that that's who you're following. That's who's worth it. That's who you're after. Now, I often struggled when I was younger with why God would have people give to the temple in the Old Testament. They screwed it up over and over and over. And why did God have people give to the church in the New Testament? People are super broken. Could I get an amen? I mean, we all know this. You just have to look inward a little, and that's without looking at your neighbor, who's even more obviously broken, right? All right. Why not just leave it to individuals to be generous alone? Uh, As an older man, I feel like I know at least a few of the answers. First off, giving directly to the poor is hard, and giving wisely to the poor is even harder. I have done plenty of both. And sometimes God wants to do something. Here we go.
All right, now I gotta find where I was. Sometimes God wants to do something larger than giving through one person to another person. And sometimes God wants to do things that are much bigger than any of us could pull off on our own. Like, for instance, serving meals four nights a week for free to anyone who drives up, which is something that happens here and is far beyond what any one of us could ever have done. It's actually beyond what we could have done together as a community, but through our partnership with Loaves and Fishes and through the generosity of people who gave a lot of money to build the kitchen and the sanctuary and extra space for the kids, we have people who can come and volunteer and we can serve 600 meals a week to people who need them. God has dreams like maybe a thriving church of Latinos who celebrate Jesus with a service that always sounds like a party. Like I go by their church and it always sounds like they're having the biggest party and it's like, why don't we get a party? And what's the answer? Because we're Scandinavian. We, we, we are celebrating on the inside, right? While they are celebrating on the outside. You may not know there are five or six Latino churches in Invergrove Heights. One of them is larger than a handful of people. La Vina Inver exists in part because people gave so generously that we could make space for two sanctuaries and so that 100% of La Vina's given can be dedicated to their pastors and their ministry. And as a result, they have one of the most amazing churches I've seen in any language with some of the best pastors in the world that I am so lucky to be able to learn from. Just like God promises in Malachi, the generous life is a blessing today as well as into eternity. Verse 22 continues, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So there's common teaching in the culture at this time. What you look at helps define who you are and who you become. When we set our eyes on God, our body is filled with light. People who worship in community regularly live longer, volunteer more, give more, have more friends, have better health. The life of following Jesus is a better one in this world. And people who set their eyes on money experience the exact opposite. Greed is the number one predictor of unhappiness of every trait studied by social psychologists. Worry about money is the path to death. It chokes our body's health. It's just a reason to take our eyes off of gratitude. The life of looking for money is worse for us in this life as well as in the next. I have an absurd number of Facebook friends. It's like 1,400 or something like that. I have known a lot of people. The generous people I know have had the best lives, period just across the board. Think of the people that you know that God has put into your life that you would say are generous. What's their life like? It's better in this world as well as the next. And so Jesus finishes in verse 24 with this. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus knows the truth. You will be loyal to your brand. Your life can be marked by a love of God or a love of money, but not both. And one is a path to a better life here and for eternity with treasures stored up in heaven. Which will you choose?
I don't want to end without some practical ways to live out your choice. And so here are some tips for putting the Word of God into practice. Tip number one is read Matthew 6. All this good stuff comes from there. And then after talking about the love of money versus the love of God, Jesus talks about being free from worry, as if there is a connection between what you do with your finances and whether or not worry consumes your life. And so you can read the chapter for yourself to see how Jesus ties these together. Tip number two, pray for a heart full of God's love. This is a great prayer in so many ways. God's love is for you. And asking for God's love helps you be grounded securely in your identity as a beloved child of God, which you are. At the same time, when we receive God's love, it can start to spread into the world through us. The love of God can change the world when we have enough of it to give away. Tip number three is give to God's work and the poor. We are about doing God's work for the poor here. The only ministry we had active through the whole of COVID was Loaves and Fishes. The next most continuous for which we opened when it was risky is Celebrate Recovery. And we made our Thanksgiving giveaway work even when we had to do the whole thing outside, which we don't ever have to do again, God willing. Awesome enough. We're doing it indoors this year, right? And the Thanksgiving giveaway, I mean, I mean there's an opportunity to give and store up some treasure in heaven right there. Now, we have incurred some debt in the last year as a result of sending out a church plant of wonderful people, and we are doing everything we can to get out of that debt. And we've also had some surprise expenses, right? We want to continue our ministry to those in need. My top financial priority for next year is to increase the salary we're giving Marta and Antoine Duran and to get their kids on health insurance. You can help us get there by making a pledge to the way forward. This is the last week. We're asking people to pray, God, would you have me give beyond my normal giving to help get the church back to full financial health? We want to keep doing the ministry that God has given to us to do. I want to invite you to stand as you are able and the worship team to come back up here. As we transition into ministry, i got to share something our staff felt I should work into the message, but I failed, and so I'm tacking it on here at the end. Now, every year we teach about finances because Jesus and the Bible teach finances more than anything except the kingdom of heaven. And so if the Bible's going to talk about it all the time, we're going to talk about it some of the time at least. And every year, a surprising number of people become concerned that we're not teaching about how you can be generous with your time and talents as well. That's what we teach about like 40 weeks of the year, right? Like what do we think we're doing around here? 40 times out of the year, you can come and hear how you can be generous with your time and talents and God is going to bless that. Uh, but for some reason, people become alarmed at teaching about generosity with money. Sometimes that's people who don't feel good about how much they have to give or don't want people feeling obligated to give. And so let me tell you something from my life. When I was so poor, I lived in a crack complex, worked at a group home, and ate potatoes and ramen for two years, which I don't really eat anymore. I gave regularly, and it blessed my whole life. Years later, I couldn't afford a car, I had to rollerblade or walk to work in church in Flagstaff where you get 120 inches of snow a year. I shared an apartment with three other guys. I gave 10% of my income to the church and it totally blessed my life. I have never regretted a dollar of giving, even when I have been in need myself. I have not had a problem with picking up the food I needed from the food bank during the week and then giving back to God on Sunday or other days. And it has gone super well for me, just like I've seen it go well for every generous person I have known in 22 years of pastoring.
The life of faith is never about how much you have, but whether or not you give out of what you do have. Of course Jesus loves it when we give our time and talents to God. And God also loves a cheerful giver. And so let's just go for it all. Amen? Amen. You guys be generous to the church. We do our best to be generous to the whole world. That's what we'll try to do with it. If you're on the prayer team, now would be a good time to come up and be ready to pray for people. Uh, we always love to pray for any requests you might have. Um, I came up with my new wife to get prayer for our finances, you know, that we would be generous and marked by generosity and that God would provide, right? Um, as I was preparing, I felt in particular uh, that someone might be here and you feel trapped. You hear this message and it doesn't sound like freedom. feels like it's closing in on you. And I have good news for you. God makes a way for people. And then we screw it up. And so God makes another way. And then we screw that up. And then God makes another way. And ultimately, God will give you his whole son. You can keep on screwing it up and God will keep on making a way for you. And so if you are feeling trapped, if this is a thing that you are struggling with, come on up. We would love to pray blessing for you. Love you, Miranda. I'll talk with Miranda afterwards. All right. Um, if you need God to open up a way for you, come forward and receive prayer. Uh, the other thing is you might need help in choosing God's brand. Um, I make a joke about my brand loyalty to the Samsung Note. It's real. It's really a thing. Um, I want people to know I love Jesus more than I want people to know that I love Samsung. And so if you would like to be identified by God's brand, I encourage you to come forward and receive prayer as well. I will lead us in worship. So God, we are grateful for everything that you have given to us, for the gift of one another. We're grateful for your presence here today and for your word. Thank you. We pray, God, that you would come with your Holy Spirit and that you would receive us. We offer you ourselves in return, God. that you would make a way for any of us who feel trapped, God. We pray that you would be our brand. Folks would know uh, you are the one we love. Help us to be marked by your generosity, your kindness, your goodness, and your life, Lord. Amen. We're going to move into worship as we do. Uh, I invite you to give yourself to God. The worship team will let us know when the service is over. Uh, God bless you, friends. Thanks for coming.